My name is Soon Park, and I'm the host of Stereo for Ballet. This podcast is designed to highlight the diversity problem in the ballet world, and illustrate experiences from students, guests, and experts, and inspire people to advocate to eliminate racism and break stereotypes in ballet and the arts. Let's get started. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Daphne Lee. Daphne Lee is a member of the Dance Theater of Harlem and began her dance training at the Railway Dance Theater. Daphne has done community work throughout the country via master classes and career readiness talks to the youth. She has assisted in raising over $5,000 in scholarship money in partnership with Brown Girls Do Ballet. She was the member of Evanelli, Lusting Dance Theater, Zest Collective, Oakland Ballet Company, and dance artist for UK artist Sydney Joe Jackson and College Dance Collective, and she will continue her mission to inspire the youth through art. Hi, Daphne. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm in good spirits. Thank you for coming on to our show. So, starting off. When did you actually start to dance, and what was your journey until dancing professionally? Yeah, well, I was trained by my mother.、Um, I started off at like three years old. I remember she was teaching, and I was just a little kid in the corner playing with my toys. And eventually, I joined in. So I don't remember exactly how I joined, but I do know it was at three years old. And dance was more recreational for me. I did not decide to become a professional dancer until I went to college. So until eighteen, nineteen years old,、um, it was just something I did more for fun than professional.、Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really early to start at three. <laughs> yes, it was really early, but、um, I did everything. I did cheerleading. I played the violin for seven years.、Um, I played tennis. I was on the debate team. So it was more part of that realm. And because my mother had her own studio, dance was just a part of it. Um, but again, yeah, the lateness—it was not a thing until like I actually got into college and decided, I think I'll give this a try. And even then, I still had doubts. But here I am. <laughs> so, what essentially motivated you or inspired you to be a dancer? Um, I'm not sure what inspired me. I just remember going to the Juilliard audition at the age of 18, and out of all those students, I made it through the last six. Um, and it was at that moment the light bulb kind of went off. I also got rejected to NYU, but I got accepted to the Ailey Fordham program, and I think that's where I realized, oh, this is a whole brand new thing for me, being a part of a dance institution like I've never done before. I think that was kind of the triggering moment where I thought, okay, let me give this a try. I think I like this. This could be my career. Let me see what can make out of it. But it was not something I went into just easily knowing. Um, that this was going to be the case for me at the end, right? Yeah, deciding that a college may seem late, but I mean, if it fits you, yeah, if the shoe fits, then you wear. But it's also about you know, some kids have that passion from very early, and they say they're going to be you know this dancer when they grow up.、Mm-hmm. I said I was going to be a doctor. Um, that confidence did not come out you know until much later for me. So I think, hey, if you have the confidence to say you want to do something in that nick of time. Then you go ahead. Same thing for my mother. She was a track runner and decided to start dance at 15 and got into a company by 18. So again, it's about determination and about how far you really want to go. So 
yeah, it was definitely, you know, not something I said at a young age. Mm-hmm. So what other companies have you been with along with Dance Theater of Harlem and how long have you been in each? Um, I'm not new to the company, but I'm, um, I'm, I'm familiar with the organization since I did a summer intensive there. Prior to that, I was living in Memphis, Tennessee. I danced with Collage Dance Collective for a few years. Um, great company because they have so much cool rep. Like their rep is completely unique. Um, you get to do a little bit of everything from dancing in water to point shoes to classicals, contemporary. Um, and then prior to that, I was with officially company wise, I was with Ailey too. Um, so that was something that came right during my college years. And in between those three stages, I've also been uh, guesting with Oakland Ballet. I work with Black Iris Project to this day. Um, you know, did some guesting and gigs here and there, but those were like the three main companies I was a part of, just short little times with them. So were there any kind of difficulties you faced as a professional ballet dancer, like in these companies? Um, I think the only biggest thing for me was just self-doubt, just, you know, trying to see if you're good enough, you know, always wanting to perfect your craft um, and just finding out where you fit in. You know, I, I got into a modern company at 20 years old. Uh, even though I still loved my point shoes. So then I was tossed into feeling like, do I fit into this box? Do I fit into that box? So I guess just finding my niche. It's not like I went strictly into a classical ballet company and like going through these major classical ballets. Like that wasn't me. My route was completely unconventional for the for the artist per se. So um, I think that's just been the biggest challenge is just finding my place within these institutions. And even to this day, I don't think there's an actual home for me. I think it's just what I like to do in the moment. But my idea of myself is being able to storytell through many genres of dance. I think that's something now that I am a little bit more proud to say. But yeah, challenges is always going to be yourself first. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So you take ballet and contemporary and are there any genres other genres that you're doing um that's it for right now because dance theater of harlem is mostly classical uh with our contemporary pieces put in but if i have to get on if i have to wear a musical theater heel i can if i have to do theater jazz or whatever it may be i can uh, if i have to do a little bit of hip-hop i can if i have to do tap whoo i gotta <laughs> go through some steps but um I'm familiar with all these different genres just because I grew up doing everything. Mm -hmm. So I think that was just the beauty of diversity of dance and the storytelling itself and modern, of course. Um, But yeah, right now I'm in the point shoes, which is like, it's usually, you know, you start off in ballet or in a point shoe and then you move to other realms, but that take you off point. But I actually did the reverse going from bare feet, modern dance, going into a point shoe, which is not, not the norm as they say. Yeah. I definitely agree. That's not conventional. So how is life routine like as a professional ballet dancer? I know that because of the pandemic is different, but maybe comparing, you know, life before the pandemic and after. Yeah, well, there's two versions of how I like to tell the story. So if I'm having a regular rehearsal day in New York City, I wake up. I'm a big morning person, so I make my little breakfast and I watch my Good Morning America I hop on the train, I head to work. We have a company class from 10 to 11.30. And then from 11.45 to like 1.45, we're rehearsing different rep or you know new choreography. We have an hour lunch break, and then we do from 2.45 to 5.45 or 6.45 of more rehearsals and rep, and then that's it for the day. Um, if I'm on tour, it's similar to the same thing, 
but the day is pushed a little bit later. We'll have class in the afternoon, followed by a tech rehearsal of the entire show. Um, and then we'll do uh, a dinner break and then we get ready with hair and makeup and then we perform the entire thing we just teched. Um, and then we get home around 11 o'clock midnight and then we rest and do the whole thing again. So those are the two different days I'll have. Now that we're in a pandemic, it's quite similar, but a little bit shorter. So I still have company class every morning. We then rehearse or go over, go over choreography. And since we're not performing for any shows, um, a lot of the stuff we're filming to go online virtually. Um, because my day is shorter, we now are in charge of teaching and assisting with the Dance Theater of Harlem School. So we'll go home and then in the afternoon, we'll have teaching classes. So that's what it looks like now. I was also wondering, is it kind of like online classes or in-person classes or a mix of both? Um, right now, everything is online. Everything is online for the moment. I did do a little bit of in-person teaching at a local studio and everybody just had masks and I just had to prove that I had a negative test. But other than that, like there's things that are opening back up and studios are quite in session. I know I just did a master class with a few universities. Um, so that was really, really neat. But yeah, everything is either through Zoom or in person, but somebody's on Zoom or something like that. So it's it's been a process, but it's, you know, you just make it work. You move on and know, okay, this is what we're doing now. It's temporary and it's a moment in time. That's very true. So kind of switching gears here, um, have you witnessed or seen any kind of racism during your professional career or even before that? I think, yes, I've definitely seen um, different racial things, just maybe with casting, maybe with questioning what kind of tights you want to wear, what kind of shoes, what about your hair texture? Can your hair get into this, you know, look or whatever it may be? Um, but I've never been heavily discriminated against, only because I've only been in companies that were already had a flourish of BIPOC community members. So Dance Theater of Harlem, Collage, they were very, of course, the majority of you know, of minorities, so to speak. Um, even with Oakland Ballet, I didn't face any discrimination, but it was cool how the artistic director was quite inclusive with choices that I wanted to make about wearing pink tights or wearing brown tights, how um, I wanted to style my hair and make certain artistic choices. So I think for me, um, there could have been things that maybe I didn't see, but nothing uh, clearly directed to me. Cause again, I've always been in spaces that were quite inclusive and diverse just to avoid that and just to not, you know, I, it didn't have anything to do with me per se. Um, I think, you know, for dancers who are in traditional classical companies, they'll face a little bit more and they're a little bit more bombarded with it per se. But again, I think a lot of people are now, you know, a little bit, ha they have more cultural consciousness and they're being aware of what's being said, what's being done, what's happening on stage, behind stage, you know, in development, in marketing, tokenism, et cetera. Um, and I think the more that happens, things are clearing up and, you know, there's progress to be made. Kind of touching on your previous point, did you see any lack of diversity during your ballet journey and in the ballet world? Um, I know that you mentioned that a lot of the companies you have been with had a lot of diversity, but... I mean, yes and no. Like when you think about the companies I've been a part of, some of them, um, you know, the dancers may be all of color, but the administration and the foundation of the company is, is more Caucasian per se. So you're looking at who's spearheading the ship, who's running the ship may not look like or reflect um, what the dancers are are in the spaces doing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something you do see. 
Um, same thing with companies that are developing, you know, tan tights and tan shoes, you know, look who's behind it, who's partnering with who to get those voices across. So you kind of see things like that. Um, same thing with, you know, magazines about dance, you know, which stories are being told, which voices are being suppressed. Is it just a form of tokenism or are we really allowing these voices to come through? So it's that kind of issue that's been happening in our communities. And again, it's it's really about the intention and what who's genuine, who's not, and really being clear to like, how is everybody feeling in the space? Right. The intentions are really important. So if any, what do you think should change in the ballet world? Um, I think it starts with, I mean, there's so much, like I said, addressing the issues of who's, you know, in finances, who's in marketing, who's the seamstress, who are the stagehands. I think it, collectively there could be more uh, contamination of diversity in many different fields, but also looking into our ballets not just having BIPOC um, choreographers and movers, but what about the stories that are being told? Um, can we question the classical ballets? Are these ballets still relevant? What about them do we amplify? What about them do we not? Um, just finding more ways to be inclusive of, there's, there has to be a stream of consciousness through everything within the ballet world, whether that's from the artists to the artistic directors, to the music score, to what we look like, whose voices are amplified within that through casting and, and, and for who and which audience members. I think it's not just one singular thing, but it has to start with almost everything at the same time in order to fully converge that and to share that message of what needs to change. Mm-hmm. Something that reminded me of was the blackface and yellow face. Some companies are still using blackface and yellow face on their stages, and that's really just perpetuating more stereotypes on stage and that really needs to change that's something we absolutely need to work on but then part of me is like let's keep it too only because it's a huge reminder if it goes away then we have no history of that and then we lose it it's kind of like um the same issue when you when it comes to the monuments of people who enslaved africans it's like yes let's take them down from the locations but let's put them in a museum to still kind of keep a representation of what was. We don't want to fully get rid of it because then we end up repeating it later on. And I think it's such a teachable moment. Um, Yes, do I think it's offensive? Absolutely. But then putting a disclaimer in the program or somebody come out and say, this ballet does feature blackface or this ballet features yellow face. It's because we're staying true to the history of it or we're saying, hey, we're letting you know that we're getting rid of this altogether. So there's different ways of approaching it, but there are teachable things. Same thing on Turner Classic Movies. They still show movies with blackface, but before every single movie, they explain why they're showing it, why this was the time, just so people are aware. And it's not like the stations or the people don't care. It's just a a moment in time that they're teaching and they're relating to. But yeah, it's crazy that they still do that. Like there aren't black people around and you can hire black dancers to actually do the role if that or completely mix it together. So there's options about how to handle different ways of how people have been treated within ballet. So can you tell us more about the work that you're doing? I've seen in your website the Daphne Lee Artistic Legacy Award. Um, Just more about what you're doing and your work. So I did a little bit of pageantry because I wanted to gain some scholarship money for pursuing my master's degree. And within that pageant program, I was able to secure creating a scholarship for women of color who wish to pursue a degree in the performing arts. 
So it's still going on to this day. Um, any woman of color that has a degree or wants to uh, go to college for performing art can apply. And it's $2,500, which is, you know, a cute little something to help with school. But yeah, it's open to anyone who's interested in becoming a dancer, musical artist, musical theater, um, vocal contemporary, vocal classical, um, any of the performing arts, which is really, really neat. Musicians. Um, and it's been going on for three years now. So I always start it every February in the beginning of Black History Month. And I always announce the winner on Juneteenth. So those were the two Black historical months. And I have that time frame where people can apply for the degree if they wish for the scholarship. Excuse me. That's really inspiring. Yeah, that, and, you know, there's not a lot of dance scholarships. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of scholarships um, for people going to pursue the degree. And if it is, a lot of it is for boys. Um, so I wanted to amplify the voices of, you know, female BIPOC community members that are pursuing degrees in dance. Mm-hmm. So what gives you hope during these times? Um, I'm not hopeless. I think um, I don't know what's giving me hope because I've never lost hope through this time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm one of those people that, you know, I've gone through so much already. It's like you can only be so low at some point. And then there's a point where your life just has to change. So my mother passed away in 2020 right at the beginning, seven days after New Year's. And then of course, COVID hit and etc. So I think what got me through was just, you know, knowing again, it's the concept of a moment in time, and it's so important to live. I think people are so afraid of the unknown. And, and that's a little bit of society's fault. We love shooting fear into people and giving them this idea of hope. You have to maintain that throughout, you have to maintain your hope, you have to maintain your faith. And just know that everything that's meant to change will change. It's not going to last forever, but you have to live through it. You have to live through it and see things for what they are and just acknowledge. And also embracing your own emotions. It's not going to be happy-go-dandy every single day. It's going to be frustrating. Um, It's going to be annoying to be on Zoom and not with you in person. But again, I'm not looking at that. I'm looking towards one day meeting you in person. I'm looking towards one day getting back on the stage. I think the whole idea of hope is that, you know, things will are constantly in flux. Things are constantly shifting. And I think if you think that way, you can't take life seriously on only yourself. And you just have to kind of go through that whole motion. So that's my best answer for that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, like you said, what's happening right now is temporary. It's temporary. It's, it's one of those things. I mean, every hundred years, every few hundred years, the pandemic breaks out and it's like hey when I'm 100 years old I'll say oh yeah you know you tease the grandkids and you say that a big giant tarantula came down and you know like you make up stuff but it's 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 fascinating it's scary it's painful it's revealing it's everything all at once and again it's a big reminder to slow down and to appreciate life in every single way and form Mm -hmm. so we're gonna move on to some fun questions to get to know you a little bit more on a personal level. Who are your heroes? Heroes, definitely my mom, definitely all my colleagues at work, and just anybody living their truth, anybody that's living their truth and just fully living to the best extent that they can. Someone that's not afraid to speak out the world, whatever their passions or hobbies are, those are real heroes to me. This might be a hard question for the answer. I mean, it really depends. What do you like to do in your free time other than dancing? Oh, no, that's not a hard question at all. I love to travel. Oh, my goodness. I love to travel to the Caribbean. I love, you know, I'm first generation American. So 
So majority of my family was elsewhere in the world. I don't have a lot of family here in the U.S. per se in terms of lineage. So I love to travel for pleasure. Um, Antigua, um, Dubai. Yeah, I really like to go travel. Um, I like to do little things like paint or decorate point shoes. Um, I love to eat. <laughs> I love reading. You will always see me with a book in my hand. Yeah, but a lot of it is downtime, just relaxing and self-care. Like that is what I like to do. I love to balance out how busy I am with also how much I'm not busy. And I think it sucks sometimes because social media will show that I'm really busy. And I'm like, no, I'm just in Jamaica on a beach. Like it's about having <laughs> that balance, but traveling and just feeling luxurious and pampered and massages and spas and that's really what I love to do. That's like something I want to make. And my desire is to go to two countries twice a year. That's like a goal of mine. So traveling. Yeah, I also love traveling. And I don't know if it's just me, but the feeling on the airplane, it's just the best. <laughs> I mean, with touring, I'm sometimes like, give me off, give me off. But um, no, if I'm traveling, that's not work related or it's work like um, I usually do a gig in the Bahamas. Like that's a good kind of travel where you're like, OK, I'm working, but I'm also, you know, enjoying a little bit of sunshine. But yeah, absolutely. I have so many desires. I'm planning to I want to go to Costa Rica for my 30th birthday. Uh, I also want to go to Ghana. My boyfriend's from Ghana as well. So like there's all these ideas of places that I want to go and explore. And again, it just reminds you of how small you are and how big the world really is and how beautiful it is. So relating to that, you kind of talked about self-care, but what are some of your favorite ways of de-stressing? Favorite ways of de-stressing? Um, funny enough, I like to clean. <laughs> like when I'm frustrated and I'm like oh I just need to like declutter make sure my room is clean open up the windows get some air in um another way to de-stress is that I do like going to a Korean spa and I like just you know I put a mask on have my hair up and I'm just in a sauna or um a jacuzzi just kind of mellowing out I love getting my toes done my nails done um definitely toes done like that's like a once a month thing um like I have a budget for that <laughs> um what else do I like to do to be stressed um friends the importance of people around me I love just you know grabbing a cup of tea or coffee with friends just kind of you know talking about whatever it is and it's a reminder that hey whatever I'm going through I'm not the only one going through that same situation um so de-stressing looks like a lot of different things whether it's buying a new book traveling, eating, those are just the pleasures of life. And I think it's important. Um, we owe it to ourselves to have that, you know, again, society is all about working to the bone and capitalism in general, especially in this country. And I refuse to be a product of that. I refuse to work so hard that, you know, and a lot of that mentality changed once my mother passed away. You know, she always told me you can't take your money to the grave. You know, you work hard so that way you can spend it and enjoy it. You save your pennies, but you make sure you enjoy the world. And that was something, you know, my parents were very big about. So that is how I de-stress, declutter, and organize. Mm -hmm. Even if you have a lot of money, if you don't use it and use it for yourself and your loved ones, it's really, you know, not useful. Like, okay, like you work to, to enjoy life. You know, I'm not going to be this rich person. Um, I don't have a lot of money, but I find ways to use my money to give back, but also to take from myself. And I think 
you have a better way of dealing with life that way, at least in my experience. So finally, as a professional ballet dancer, arts advocate, and a clean beauty advocate, do you have any tips for young dancers in order to make the ballet world more inclusive, representative, and a safe place? Again, it's all about the voice. You're only as big and as good as your voice. So using your voice for change always. Um, if there's something you're not comfortable with or you're not feeling, definitely speak up about it. Also to retrospect why you're doing what you're doing. If you're in the classical ballet world and you're a BIPOC community member, don't lose your identity within that. You know, I'm a person of Latin and Caribbean descent. I have to understand, okay, what do these ballets mean with me? What do they resonate? Do they resonate anything at all? But I need to make sure that, yes, I can do my 32 fuetes, but I also know how to do the compa. You know, if you're Haitian, that's a, a traditional dance form. I also know how to dance with a poyera skirt. I don't lose my identity within the art form of ballet. That's number one. Two, um, in addition to speaking up and not losing your identity, explore as much as you can within the art form and externally outside of it. There's so much that can enhance your dancing uh, by looking outside of dance itself and also diving deep into the history. Who are the dancers that came before you? Who are the dancers that are in the space with you? What are their bios? Do you know anything about them? Um, or are you just judging them based on whatever it may be? I think it's so important to recognize the legacies of many artists prior. And then again, just using your city, using your space, doing a land acknowledgement. Know who the people who came before you on this land. How does that influence your movement? When you're on tour, check out museums. Figure out the people, figure out what kind of audience member is coming into that theater. So you perform differently. That's kinetic energy exchange. So I think there's so much to explore within dance that's not just steps and numbers and counts and choreography. There's there's so much more to it. It's an embodied experience. Wow, that was really powerful. <laughs> so we wish that young dancers listening to this podcast or even just adults uh, really get this inspiration from Daphne Lee. Just want to say thank you, Daphne, um, for joining us. It was such a fun time talking to you. Yeah, this was great. Let me know anytime, and I'm looking forward to chatting soon again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. As you know, our STEP program that provides free online ballet classes for children ages 5 to 10, especially those who can't afford it, is already available on our website. Check out our website, www.stairforballet.com. We're also doing a fundraiser of supporting the mission of Stereo for Ballet. Donate to the mission and cause of Stereo for Ballet that works to eliminate racism and break stereotypes in the ballet community one step at a time. Donations go directly to supporting the mission of Stereo for Ballet, such as expanding the STEP program so that more children can take ballet classes online for those who can't afford it, where volunteers and children can connect with each other across Michigan and even the country later on. Your support and donating even a dollar will be a lot of help. To keep up with our social medias, check out our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube.